From west to east and kingdom to kingdom, you're listening to the Diz Unplugged Connecting with Walt podcast. with Walt is brought to you by Dreams Unlimited Travel, experts at helping you plan the perfect Disney vacation. Visit upon the web at Dreams Unlimited Oh my goodness. At DreamsUnlimitedTravel.com. Not a good idea to trip over the sponsor's name. Hello and welcome to episode 67 of the Diz Unplugged Connecting with Walt podcast. I am your host and Diz historian Michael Bowling and I am joined by my co-host, producer and good friend Craig Williams. Craig, how are you today? I'm doing great. How are you, Michael? Well, you know, it was good until I started the intro here. And uh, just just off to a running start and tripped over my own tongue. Yeah, so you uh, kept going with it, though, because I could have easily edited around that. Uh, But I appreciate that because now it's a fun blooper for everyone. They like when we screw up. It is. We're 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 real here on connecting with Walt. Exactly. And 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 we're very excited because for folks who listen to our legacy Disneyland show, you will remember that that I had a bandmate in in our our house band, Global Hygiene Revolution, and it is going to be a a band reunion on this episode. Tony Spatel will be joining us just a little later in the show for um, this episode of yes. Connecting with Walt. So, uh, so we're looking forward to, to um, having Tony back with us. So, what? Uh, so, Craig, what have you been up to this week? Oh man, it's been a uh, whirlwind week of doing a whole lot of nothing. So, I'm just joking. I recently got a a brand new puppy, and that has been uh, just destroying my life for about a past week and a half. So, and I mean <laughs> and that in the best way possible. <laughs> Luckily, we only have hardwood floors and ceramic tiles, so thank goodness for that because I I do not, I I don't miss having to to clean up puppy pee out of a carpet. So that was that was awful with my last puppy Elvis. Um, but yeah, it's just you forget about how they only can hold their bladder for a couple hours, so it's making sleep very very tough at night and uh um yeah it's just giving me that good idea of what it will be like to be a parent one day and now i'm stressed out even more but yeah and and you can't put puppy pads you know in the crib for the baby (laughs) just doesn't work hey there's still gonna be some time before i worry about that in my life and i want to say that they're gonna come up with something for that between now and then that i can do that but We'll see. The future's the future's bright and positive, thanks to Walt Disney. It is. Yeah, yeah. Well, I I was on um, business travel last week. I was in the Midwest. Yeah. I I learned you you cannot um, you cannot lose weight and and eat in the Midwest. It's just impossible. If it's not deep fried, it has gravy on it. Yeah. So, but all the food was delicious. I got to visit my son and his wife and my granddaughter, and oh, nice. also, and then our daughter came out to visit. So I was able to book in visits with my family, um, along with my business travel. I finally watched a film, and you've talked about this film. I I downloaded it on my iPad um, and watched it on the plane. It is. It was so charming. Finding Neverland. Oh yeah. 
I had never seen it. Oh, and a plane is a terrible place to watch that for the first time. I know, were, but were I really crying? wanted to see it. You know, <laughs> near the end there, I, I was. And I thought, okay, now I've got to research and see how yeah. accurate is this story. Because I do know that it's based, you know, on a true story. Yeah. In that, that, that James Berry did have a relationship with the family. But I wanted to know, okay, how much of this is true. And then I thought, you know what? Is the, I don't want to ruin the magic. Yeah. Oh, no, I, I still and I, I have ruined that magic a little bit for myself. But there are still two moments in that movie that I I get teary eyed and I, I start to cry at. It doesn't matter how many times I, mm-hmm. I watch it. It's so I, I commend you for watching that while traveling. Man, that's it's heavy. Yeah, yeah, it, it was very well done. And um, so if you, if folks, if you're um, fans of Peter Pan, you definitely want to watch this film. There's a musical that's traveling. It's going to be in our town um, in the next few months, I think. So yeah. now I thought, hmm, yeah. now I thought, I wonder if I want to see this. So I, I listened to the soundtrack when it first came out. Um, <laughs> it, it was, It's pretty good. So yeah. I, th- I think it would be enjoyable in person. And, and if you do like Finding Neverland, then that's the next plug, too. It, it just released very recently. Uh, Christopher Robin, it's the director of that, is also the director of Finding Neverland. So the movies have very, very close feels. And if you like Peter Pan and Christopher Robin, then you'll really like it because it's basically a retelling of the movie Hook. and uh, But much better than that movie mm-hmm. because while it's a... While it's a childhood favorite of mine, it is just awful. And I know my my son, <laughs> our, our son just loved that film. Yeah. In fact, the film was always missing because he would sneak it around somewhere, put it in other boxes, and I don't know why, but it was forever because it was VHS and those oh, yeah. So, no, but I, it was one of but, my favorites. It was one of so, the first movies I can remember, but it's awful. So you like Christopher Robin? I was I, I found all the tra- the trailers and everything charming. I saw that you posted on Twitter yeah. that you really liked it, but my concern was that car chase scene because I thought, oh no, it's going to get cheesy and slapsticky and it's going to ruin the film. So, d- yeah. am I wrong? I wouldn't. I if you, I think by that point in the movie they break you down enough emotionally that you enjoy the little bit of laughter that's involved in that scene. Okay. Um, but that's, that's by that point, I, I didn't care anymore. You're actually, you're, it's kind of one of those situations where you're rooting for the characters at that point in time. So you overlook some of the, uh, the decisions being made, but, uh, that was just me. So. Okay. Well, I'm definitely going to see it because I found the trailers charming. I, I am not a fan of the Disney version of Winnie the Pooh. Uh, never have been. Yeah. And and I think it's because because of my British background. I grew up with the Milne books. My first books was a set of four uh, of the Milne books in a boxed set that came over from England and uh, and I still have it and uh, that 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 was Winnie the Pooh for me and I like that the the characters are depicted closer to as they are in the books in in the illustrations in that they, they were always stuffed animals yeah and no matter what and I like that they're depicted as stuffed animals in the film 
Yeah, and I, I would say, you know, I've read, I've read, I think, the first two books, uh, Winnie the Pooh and then House on Pooh Corner. Mm-hmm. Are those the only two books? Officially those are the only read? two. The, the other two that he wrote were um, books of poetry yeah. for children. Yeah, and um, I, it's, it's like a gap in between those two. It's, it's got the touches of um, the Disney versions, especially like with, with Tigger's personality in general mm-hmm. i can understand now why they they wanted to potentially they're gonna uh cast chris o'dowd he's a irish comedian and then test screenings didn't go well apparently so they they then had jim cummings do it and and i feel like with i feel like tigger's personality in particular did not match the tone of the rest of the characters um, mm-hmm. that felt very much of the cartoons. I love Tigger though. He's, he's my favorite in the gang. Mm-hmm. So that wasn't a problem for me, but it, that's the, that's the only thing that, uh, that I think kind of held it to the, to the cartoons, the, the Disney features of it is that, that more comics side to it. But, mm-hmm. um, other than that, it's, it really was this gap in between the books and and the Disney productions on it. So I, th- I think there's mm-hmm. there's good sides to it. Okay. Well, you know, and speaking of uh, Disney characters, you know, last week we, we continued our retrospective of Mickey Mouse, which I, I heard a lot of positive yeah. comments on that. So thank you. Uh, today I saw that in honor of Mickey's 90th anniversary, there's going to be a television special. Yeah. On Sunday, November 4th, 8 to 10 p.m. on, of course, guess what channel? <laughs> ABC. Oh, I thought And Fox. Yeah. <laughs> it's going to be, well, you know, <laughs> have they bought it yet? Um, you know, broadcasting from the Shrine Auditorium. And so I'm very excited about that. I'm hoping it's going to be really good but the the um direct the producer and director said that walt disney was a major influence in his early life and inspired him to pursue his life's work in television so i i think he's going to be very respectful yeah. you know of this so um, as long so as they keep theme park commercials out of it i think it'll be awesome Oh, oh, Craig! I know. I know. Have it's, you have you seen the Christmas parade and uh, what it's become? I know, and <laughs> and we all know that they're going to be heavily plugging uh, the the next peak into Mickey and Minnie's Runaway Railway. So they're <laughs> they're going to have to spend time on that, but we'll we'll see. So yeah. So anyway, so so folks, mark um, November fourth on your calendars. Yeah, yeah. That'll be great. So when is Destination D? It's Two around weeks. that time. I want to say the weekend 17th, 18th, maybe. Yeah, whatever. so great. So when you see me and Craig there at Destination D, we can um, find so out how you enjoyed this television special. Yeah, yeah. So so before we move on, I also, uh, those of you who follow the news, you know that um, the wildfires in California and Western United States have have been horrendous they've been horrific uh the town that carol and i live in our air quality is so poor we've not seen the sun in days and ash just rains on us like snow um from the fires yeah it's really bad um people with respiratory problems are really struggling and my eyes are just always burning um from it and so we just want to send our positive thoughts and prayers to 
all of our dizzers, everyone in our Connecting Swap family who are affected by the fires. I do know from postings that at least some of our listeners, uh, the, the fires were within miles of their homes. And in fires like this, miles are nothing. Um, so, so we just, you're in our thoughts and prayers, and we hope that our, and so are our firefighters and first responders, and that we hope that these um, firefighters, these fires come to an end very quickly. Yeah, absolutely. So, and also I wanted to thank everybody for their positive thoughts and prayers they sent um, for me and my lovely research and, and assist, my lovely research assistant and wife Carol. Um, she is still in the hospital, but um, your your prayers and pixie dust and thoughts are definitely having an effect. So um, we're hoping in a, in a few weeks that she will be discharged. So so please keep keep all of those um, keep all those prayers and pixie dust and everything coming. So. So anyway, so on this episode of Connecting with Walt, we are boarding our Carousel of Progress Wayback Machine, and this time we're traveling back to the year 1958 to spend a day at our favorite place, Disneyland. Now, this will be a very different experience than a visit to the park today. Many of your favorite attractions in 1958 are under construction or have yet to be imagined. And some extinct attractions are up and running, delighting guests of all ages. And you will have to plan your day carefully because passports are more than 30 years away. We will be using attraction coupon books. Now, since Disneyland is always more magical when it's shared, as assistant editor for the Diz, Tom Bell would always say on our Legacy Disneyland Edition podcast, Craig and I have invited one of my colleagues from the Legacy Disneyland show to join us, Tony Spittell. So, Tony, welcome to Connecting with Walt and the Disneyland of 1958. I'm excited to go back in time, and I would not go back in time with anybody else but you. Thanks, Craig. Oh, so, oh well, excited. thank you. Thank you. We're excited you. to have you. I know I know. one of the things that always impressed me on the Disneyland show was your love of the parks and your knowledge of the parks. So when Craig and I were planning this and we thought, well, we have to take a friend with us. You know, you were the first person I thought of that I thought would enjoy well, this. And, and you have to come with me because I'm the only one in this group who is alive. In 1958, so I know this park of 1958 like the back of my hand, <laughs> and I and I, and I don't. So I had to do a little bit of research to see what some of the rides were in 1958 because I was um, how old were my parents? Uh, my yes, I wasn't even a glint in my glint or glean or spark in my parents' eyes. So uh-huh. it was it was interesting. I love seeing the old pictures and just the space mm-hmm. that was there. Well, I hope you've dressed very dapperly because in 1958, we got dressed up, you know, for a day at the park. So um, so. now that you said that, I have to go back and look at some of these rides and see whether I would be whether I would be comfortable riding some of these things in my dapper outfit. Yeah. Yeah. 
So now when Disneyland opened to the general public on July 18th, 1955, general admission to the park for adults was $1 and 50 cents for children. Uh, there were special rates for groups, conventions, students, servicemen, and the clergy. Now attraction tickets for were individually priced. An A ticket was 10 cents, a B ticket 25 cents, and a C ticket was good for any attraction at 35 cents. With the exception of the Golden Horseshoe Review and sponsored exhibits, each attraction required a ticket. No cash was accepted at any attraction entrance. Guests could purchase tickets at ticket kiosks located throughout the park. Those first tickets really were simply carnival-style ticket stubs. One of the early criticisms of Disneyland, though, was that guests were always reaching into their pockets to purchase a ticket. And this gave the false impression that it was expensive for a family to visit Disneyland. Uh, I'll just let everybody reflect on that. <laughs> to, to combat that impression, the head of public relations, Ed Edinger, came up with the concept of the ticket book. And according to Ed, then we could advertise admission and eight rides for $2.50. I'll either be a goat or a hero. <laughs> now, in contrast to the ticket stubs, these tickets, officially referred to as coupons by Disneyland, were larger and much more colorful. Each ticket level was printed on a different color. Priced at $2.50 for adults, $2 for seniors and junior high school students with ID, and $1.50 for children under 12. Each coupon book had general admission ticket and eight attraction tickets, three A coupons, two B coupons, and three C coupons. D coupons were introduced in 1956 with the opening of the Rainbow Ridge Mine Train, and those cost 35 cents, resulting in the C coupon being reduced in price to 30 cents. Uh, whoever, whoever would imagine anything being reduced in price today at Disneyland. The well-known e-coupon was introduced in 1959 with the opening of the monorail, Matterhorn bobsleds, and submarine voyage at a cost of 50 cents. Over the years, the cost of each individual coupon fluctuated and attractions moved to different levels. What an attraction cost depended upon its popularity. The coupon books were wildly popular. Besides dispelling the notion that guests were always reaching for their wallets at Disneyland, it motivated guests to organize their day at the park because the grouping of attractions by different levels meant guests had to ration their experiences. The coupon books forced guests to slow down and spread throughout the park, preventing long lines at the most popular attractions. And having a variety of coupons also encouraged guests to experience attractions they might otherwise not ride because they felt they had paid for them. The coupon books also gave cast members the opportunity to, opportunity to make contact with each guest as they collected their coupons. And I think this is where children of my day, we sort of learned economics and we learned bartering. As we sort of planned our day and and we were we, we we were like pirate traders you know trading 
coupons and negotiating, okay, what rides are we all going to go on? Attractions are we all going to go on? And, um, you know, trying to convince younger people in the family, you don't really want to go on that attraction. You want to go mm-hmm. on this attraction with us. That was especially important when e-tickets came into being. Yeah, and uh, while ticket books haven't been used in years, many are still familiar with them thanks to the term e-ticket, uh, which has been used to describe the newest and most exciting attractions now. But before e-tickets were added to the ticket books in 1959, you had A, B, C, and D ticket. So uh, in the 1957 to 58 period, there were multiple ticket book options. The Big Ten ticket book, which included admission to Disneyland and admission to uh, admission to Disneyland, as well as admission to 10 of the attractions. And then they also had the Jumbo 15 ticket book. This included admission to Disneyland plus 15 attractions. And pricing on the big ticket book, the one with 10 tickets, was 325 for adults, 275 for juniors, and 225 for children. That Jumbo ticket book with 15 attractions was 425 for adults, 375 for juniors and 325 for children so uh we are actually going to plan our day out using a 1958 ticket book that uh, i actually found on ebay which was pretty pretty excellent because uh they actually had one of each ticket in the ticket book still so wasn't relying on uh, archive photos and other collectors who had them this was four still attached tickets in there that weren't placed in so we know all of the attractions and options that were available without doing a lot of uh really difficult work on our part so i'm gonna go over the the ticket options that we all have as well as the pricing uh before we get our game started just so you can all write this down and start forming your own list too uh but the eight ticket options were 10 cents and those include as follows on main street the main street horse cars horseless carriages an omnibus surreys or wagons fire wagon main street cinema in Tomorrowland, Satellite View of America, 20,000 Leagues Exhibit, and the Omnibus. Then in Fantasyland, King Arthur Carousel, the Omnibus, or any other A attraction. The B tickets were $0.25 cents each, and these featured attractions in Tomorrowland, like Tomorrowland Viewliner and Skyway to Fantasyland. In Fantasyland, the Mad Tea Party, Mickey Mouse Club Theater, Dumbo Flying Elephant, Skyway to Tomorrowland, Fantasyland Viewliner, and Midget Autopia. In Frontierland, the Conestoga Wagons, or any other B attraction. The C ticket option was $0.35 cents, uh, per ticket, and this included in Tomorrowland, Autopia, and Astrojet. Then in Fantasyland, Sleeping Beauty Castle, Peter Pan Flight, Snow White's Adventures, Mr. Toad's Wild Ride, Casey Jr. Circus Train, Storybook Land, Canal Boats, Motorboat Cruise, or Junior Autopia, and Frontierland, the Mike Fink Keelboats, or then any other sea attraction. And finally, the D-ticket options are valued at 50 cents, and those include on Main Street, the Santa Fe and Disneyland Railroad Trains, in Tomorrowland, the TWA Rocket to the Moon, in Fantasyland, also the Railroad, uh, Frontierland, a lot. We had the Rainbow Caverns Mine Train, Rainbow Ridge Pack Mules, Rainbow Mount Stage Coaches, Mark Twain Steamboat, Tom Sawyer Island Refs, 
the Disneyland Railroad, Indian War Canoes, Jungle Cruise, or then any other D attraction. So, unfortunately, Michael, earlier in this, I gave you the amount of the original tickets uh, with the ABC tickets. Uh, Mm -hmm. In our situation, we don't know how many of each ticket (laughs) came in the ticket book. Uh, It I maybe checked every website that even possibly could have mentioned uh, what was what was with these ticket books, and none of them had an exact answer on the amount mm-hmm. inside. So easy to know the prices that people paid for them, but just not the amount of tickets in there. So yeah. for this little game that we're playing here, we're pretending our ticket books came with four D tickets, three C tickets, two B tickets, and one A ticket. And uh, that's how we're just going to go with it. And uh, then hopefully one of our great listeners out there will send us an email or or tweet at us or something and tell us what the exact mounts are in there because I actually have one of these. But <laughs> that would be great. Would be. I have a ticket book from the 80s, you know, the final year of the of the books but uh yeah i couldn't even in all my reference material i could not find uh, accounting for the 1958 books but we'll have fun guessing oh yeah this is fun (laughs) so should we get started then yeah yeah so we're gonna work our way up with uh a tickets and b tickets c d uh and we are starting with the a so that means we have one of them and who would like to start with their choice tony why don't you start Uh, okay i will go (laughs) and i am in 1958 so i did a little bit of research seeing what it was like in 1958 right and so i've decided to choose you'll kind of notice the theme with some of my choices but satellite view of America because now satellites aren't that big of a deal. But if I'm a kid or a kid at heart in 1958, they had just put up one of the satellites and Mm -hmm. this would be really exciting to see this view because it was really happening and space and all that was exciting because it hadn't officially, you know, we hadn't landed all that stuff. So I'm going to choose satellite view of America because I'm excited with all these new, the the first satellite that just went up, and I actually have the date on that. Aren't you proud of me, Michael? I uh, am. Yeah, and it says Explorer and, 1 mm-hmm. was the first satellite launched by the U.S. when it was set into space on January 31st, 1958. So the fact that you had this attraction to me was really would be really exciting if I was able to go to Disneyland back then and do that. So that's why I chose that. I, I remember reading how amazed people were by this attraction because it was it, it, it was so you know we we it wasn't like today where we see photos all the time from the space shuttle or when we went to the moon or when we orbited the Earth in the you know the Mercury and Gemini and Apollo programs. This was brand new and you know Sputnik had gone up and you had the Explorer program with the satellites. I think there were to- there were at least three that went up, I think, in 58. NASA mm-hmm. was formed, I think, in 58. So um, this, th- people were captured by the space program. So um, I think, yeah, that I would have loved to have seen this as well. And I can't imagine the excitement of seeing it, like you said, because it wasn't like you could go on the internet and see the pictures or 
and so you're at Disneyland and you get to see this whole new world. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And this was huge. I mean, this was, this was, this wasn't something small. This was like a panoramic view. Mm -hmm. That was my choice for my A ticket. Excellent. All right. Well, I'll go. I'll go. I'm, I'm going with, uh, I'm also in Tomorrowland. So Tony, I'm right near you. I'm at the 20,000 leagues exhibit. Mm. Uh, when when Disneyland opened in 1955, you know, Tomorrowland, this was the least realized of all the realms. Most of the exhibits are considered temporary. So when Imagineers are trying to figure out what to do with the back of Tomorrowland, they drew their inspiration from the 1954 film, 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. So they used some of the props and sets from the film to design a walkthrough in the rear area of Tomorrowland, sort of where Starcade is today. And so the exhibit was housed in a large circular room and it was designed to give guests the experience of walking through a real submarine. And so they, they, they began their tour by passing an 11 foot ship model. And then they went through the various rooms of the submarine, the wheelhouse, the chart room, professor Aranax's cabin, the salon, the pump room, the diving chamber, the fitting chamber, the power supply room. And there, there were all these different displays or all these interactive features detailing that room's role in the operation of the submarine. And then and then along the tour, you could guests could see kelp, fish, the, the giant squid was there through the porthole windows in each of the chambers. And then finally, when guests got to the center of the exhibit, and that was called the last resting place of the Nautilus. And there you saw where this great submarine was in its final resting place on this um, huge underwater um, rock formation. And I I would have loved to have seen this because I love 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. It was one of my favorite films as a boy growing up. It it inspired me to read the book. Um, And I I just, I think I would have been dazzled by this exhibit in 1958. Yeah, this was actually, I'll I'll roll this right into mine. This was going to be my choice. Uh, (laughs) Also, and I'm not, I didn't change it. Uh, just based on everything that you said, uh, th- this originally this was the first one that jumped out at me uh, because I like you. I, I love Twenty Thousand Leagues Under the Sea. It's it's just a really awesome movie, and it was so cool getting getting to walk in in the Nautilus when I was at Disneyland Paris, getting getting to do that experience. But I think if I also was waiting a long time to spend my A ticket. Eventually, I would convince myself away from 20,000 Leagues, and I probably would go to the Main Street Cinema. So it's still around to this day, uh, but I've, it, from as long as I've, I, I can remember, I've always been obsessed with, with Mickey Mouse and Mickey Mouse cartoons. And so uh, the fact that I could go in and watch some, which in 1958, you know, I don't, I don't think they would be pretty accessible besides anything being shown shown uh, during a Walt Disney special, but um, it, it would be a place to, to see them for sure at Disneyland, and, and you get the six different reels playing, so ultimately I, th- I think that's what I would go for. Mm-hmm. That's a good choice. I, I'm, I'm so happy that Disneyland still has its theater. 
I know. I I love walking in there, even if I'm only in there for ten seconds. I mm-hmm. it's just it's so refreshing getting to walk through and see <laughs> Mickey Mouse being honored like that at Disneyland. Mm-hmm. Okay, should we roll into the B tickets? Sounds good. It's the only way to go. Okay. Um, so I'm going to actually call on you first, Michael, to okay. make one B ticket selection. Okay. Well, you know, originally I was going to choose Skyway to Fantasyland, and then in my research I found out it was closed in 1958. Oh. <laughs> it was closed in 1957 and 1959 due to the construction of the Matterhorn bobsleds because the Skyway was going right through the Matterhorn. So anyway, so I took care of that. So I, of course, I had to choose this. In Fantasyland, I'm going to use one of my tickets to go to the Mickey Mouse Club Theater. You know, everyone was as welcome as can be when the Mickey Mouse Theater... Um, Club Theater opened on August 27th, 1985 or 1955. Um, This also often presented various Disney cartoons, but a lot of times these are the Silly Symphonies or Donald Duck cartoons. And at one point it was home to the 3D Jamboree featuring um, 3D Mouseketeers in color. And they introduced the short films Melody and Working for Peanuts all in 3D. So, um, since I was a member of a later version, a later club, you know, I, I have to go here, you know, to um, hang out for a bit and see some some other cartoons. Because by this time, you know, the again, for your reason, Craig, you know, Silly Symphonies, unless you saw them on television, uh, th- they weren't as accessible in theaters. That's a great point. So, mm-hmm. Tony, make your first pick. Well, I definitely want to go back to 1958 to go on the Viewliner because that's the most exciting little thing I've ever seen with the Tomorrowland Viewliner that only ran, they did research, not like normally like me on the Legacy Show, um, that it only ran for, it ran for less than a year. So, according to what I've seen on the web, that it was basically a precursor to the monorail. I'm assuming, mm-hmm. Michael, you can talk a little about that. Mm-hmm. And um, so it was like a poor man's monorail. And of course, if I'm the kid or kid at heart that wanted to go to space and see that first, and this is exciting because because I'm thinking back then, it, it's hard for me to not know what I know now. But thinking back then of thinking, well, if we go to space, then this is what the trains are going to look like and getting caught up in that whole idea. So that is one of the reasons I chose it. And also the fact that so few people wrote it, I could be one of the kids or kids at heart that says I went on the Tomorrowland Viewliner. So the the pre-monorail, that's what I chose. Mm -hmm. Good choice. Yeah, no, I was was just taking it in. So that was... That was well thought out, um, which mine's not going to to seem that way, but I... Well, don't worry, my next one was not well thought out. It's <laughs> apparently it's closed now that Michael ruined my, my trip to Disneyland in 1968. <laughs> wow. Well, I, my first choice would have been uh, Dumbo, Flying Elephant. So uh, I, I'm going in with the fact that I'm, I'm imagining this is my personality of right now as a 31-year-old, but I'm probably around like eight years old or something that's that's what i've been making up in my head with it and uh i would have caught 
Dumbo somehow, some way, in some form, and become just a just as obsessed with him as I am now. And uh, I I think I would see all those Dumbos flying around. And when have you ever seen an elephant fly in the past before? So uh, it, I hate hub and spoke rides, but this is one that is near and dear to my heart. So back when I was a kid in 1958, I would have wanted to do that too. Yeah. So well, it's it's the traditional first ride. Yeah. You know, it's the first one we took our children on. It's the first one we took our granddaughter on. So, yeah, I mean, you have to go on Dembo. Yeah, and I will just roll right into my next one, too. And that is kind of the opposite of Tony's Tony's whole space vibe that he's been running with for the first two picks. Um, I, I would go from space to the frontier, the one that uh, we can explore a little bit quicker with the Conestoga wagons, just because uh, I, I, I enjoy both space and uh, kind of Western culture in that sense and the Wild West and all that stuff. And so I, I think I would side more with uh, the frontier lifestyle and Conestoga wagons just... Uh, at least in 2018, knowing that you can't find them anywhere, I would have to assume that there wasn't a lot happening uh, in, in theme parks and such with Conestoga wagons back then. So I, I'd probably want to ride in something that just was so foreign to me. Mm-hmm. But those those were cool. Yeah, <laughs> it's such a weird thing, but mm-hmm. it's just how I feel. So, what about you, Tony? My well, I wanted to go on the the um, Skyway to Tomorrowland, <laughs> but it's under construction. So my parents obviously weren't, you know, listening to podcasts at that time in 1958 <laughs> and knowing knowing these things. So I thought about. So I had to rethink my thought, which is redundant, obviously. And I'm going to go with Dumbo. So I'm going to be right behind you, Craig. And the reason why. And it's interesting because I wasn't thinking of this until um, Michael and you were talking about the value and the bartering for it being 20. I think that should be more than 25 cents at the time. I think it should be a, a 35 or a 50 cent ride. So I think just for value, it's a good deal. Not to just get rid of the fun part of it, but I think that that could have been a, um, a higher ticket attraction. So I think that's why I would choose Dumbo if I couldn't go on the Skyway. It's a good choice. Yeah, yeah I agree. And and for mine, Tony, I'm riding with you on that Viewliner because um, I, I this one intrigues me. I think this, if I rode on this, I don't know because I would have been a toddler. And even though there are photos of me Probably around this time, there are photos of me in July of 57, 58, and in the parks. It's not on the Viewliner, so I don't know if I ever rode it. It's probably one of two attractions I never rode in the park, the other one being Rocket Rods. And 
you know, and and for folks who don't know, this was a, a narrow gauge miniature train, and it ran alongside portions of the Santa Fe Disneyland Railroad, and it began service on June tenth, nineteen fifty seven. And as Tony was saying, it's supposed to represent rail travel of the future. And there were two separate trains designed by Disney Imagineer Bob Gurr, and this is supposed to be a replica of General Motors' futuristic Aerotrain. And they they traveled along a dog bone track circuit and through parts of Tomorrowland and Fantasyland. And the Tomorrowland train featured red cars that were named for the planets, whilst the blue cars of the Fantasyland train were named after various Disney characters. And I want to ride this for sort of the same reasons you said, Tony. It, it ran for such a short time because it was removed in order to begin construction on the expansion of, of Disneyland in for the 1959 expansion. And because of the stories Bob Gurr has told about designing this, designing the locomotive and how he, he went and chose Chevrolet parts to build the locomotives. I mean, this thing just sounds like it was thrown together in a way only Bob Kerr could make Bob Gurr could make it happen and work. And I, that's, I just, I'm always so disappointed. I never, I don't remember if I experienced it or not because it just sounds so cool. Yeah. Now you're having me regretting all my choices. (laughs) No, no, all of our choices are valid. They are. And Mm -hmm. no one can tell us we're wrong. And if you do, it'll probably just end. But if you you do, you have to get your own 1958 ticket book and tell us what you'd write on. Yes. Yeah, you have to be very (laughs) thorough if you're going to complain. But uh, let's move on to the C tickets then. And I'm going to kick it off with my first uh, choice. And I am going to go with... Which one do I want to talk about first? Um, I'll, I'll stick with the Frontier theme. I'm going to choose the Mike Fink keelboats. So I am just for the same exact reason that uh, I want to ride on a Conestoga wagon. I would say the same thing for the actual boats being in in a unique type of boat. Not like, not like uh, any big passenger boat that you would see uh the design of the keel boats was so unique and maybe i saw it in the davy crockett movie um but it's it's one of those things that i think i would walk in and just be like i can't do this anywhere else that i know of so i think i would immediately be drawn to that over in that area but uh michael let's go with your choice I, I love the Mike Fink keelboats. I miss these so much. This was a must-do attraction for me. And I'm so happy, although my children probably don't remember it, I'm so happy they did get to go on these. Um, the, the, I'm, I'm riding with you on these. I'd go over and over again. This, this, Like Craig said, this is a Frontierland attraction. It opened December 25th, 1955. It's based on the television episode Davy Crockett's Keelboat Race, and the the boats are the Gully Wumper, na- named for Mike Fink's keelboats, and the Bertha May, named for Davy's boat. And the Fink was a legendary king of the river to go along with his opponent's title, the King of the Wild Frontier. And initially, they actually used the two boats, two of the boats from the series, but they were soon replaced with larger three window replicas. 
these were so much fun. First of all, I loved how it gave kinetics to the the river at that time because you had the Mark Twain, you had the uh, the Columbia wasn't up and running yet. You had the you had the Indian War canoes as they were called then. Don't write me. That was what they were called, and they you had the Tom Sawyer. Um, the rafts to Tom Sawyer Island, and then you had the keelboats. There was so much going on on that river. And then Walt, you know, throws a, 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 a giant, you know, Columbia, you know, sailing schooner, you know, in there. And then, um, but the spiel of the, uh, the I, I don't know if you call them skippers or whatever, of the keelboats, it surpassed the, the Jungle Cruise skippers. They were hilarious. And, that, and they were irreverent. They would they pretend to have this rivalry with the um, the canoers from the, the um, Indian War canoes. And it was so much fun. I'm so sorry they got rid of these. They, they added so much to Frontierland and, and, and the personality of Frontierland and the environment of Frontierland and theme. And, and, and they are a profound loss, in my opinion, to that realm of the park. Absolutely. So, Tony, would you be joining us, too? No. Because, <laughs> don't worry, I, will, I promise there will be some non-Tomorrowland attractions. But um, despite your, your great evidence, I've decided to go in a different direction. Oh, there's three, so I'll save one of the obvious ones, Tomorrowland, for me But um, later. But I looked at um, the sea tickets as what are rides, because so many of them, minus the mic, I think keelboats, are still around. What would I go on today still? And so it was pretty easy for me. And so... I'm going to go ahead and pick Peter Pan flight as one of my sea tickets because I would go on it now and you can talk all about the history, but it's a great ride and you get to fly. Mm-hmm. I've noticed most of my rides I'm flying or looking mm-hmm. at flying or pretending to fly. So that's interesting because I never wanted to be a pilot or go to outer space, but those are the rides <laughs> I would choose. <laughs> and it's a different attraction back in those days because they didn't have Peter Pan in it. You were Peter Pan. Oh, okay. Yep. Interesting. That's a bonus. Yeah. So, <laughs> Tony, do you want to pick your next one, too? Sure. So then, down the street a little bit, I'm going to go ahead and go on Mr. Toad's, because do I need to even explain it? First of all, <laughs> it's still, you know, it's Mr. Toad's. That's it. I'm done. Don't Drop the mic, Mr. Toad's. I'd go on it whenever I could. So, there you go. No explanation. Yep. Yep. Well, what Agreed. other Disney attraction do you and go then, to hell? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then, do you want my last one now? Yeah, might as well. So, of course, because everything else had the theme, I went with Astro Jets. Because <laughs> as much as I know, I still like them now, but I can't imagine how exciting to pretend to be in a rocket. In 1958, I've just seen... Okay, so now the, the satellites launched, and I saw that, and then I went on the view liner of the, the train of the future, and now I'm flying in a rocket ship. Like, if I'm, again, an eight-year-old in 1958, this is, I can't wait for all this to really happen, because I'm looking at all these things as, this is what's going to happen when I get older. So I would be really excited in 58 to go on the Astro Jets, or in 2018. Excellent answer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Michael, I, 
Well, you know, this might surprise you, but I'm going to be in Fantasyland. I'm going to that Sleeping Beauty Castle walkthrough. Uh, you know, this beginning in on April 29th, 1957, visitors were able to walk through the castle and view several dioramas depicting the story of Sleeping Beauty. And the voice of Jiminy Cricket from the Walt Disney's Pinocchio, of all films, um, singing When You Wish Upon a Star was piped throughout the castle. But why I remember this so fondly is because the original dioramas, they're not the ones we have today, they were designed in the style of Ivan Earl. And we've talked about him, you know, on previous episodes of Connecting as Walt. Um, he was the production designer for Disney's 1959 film Sleeping Beauty. And he gave it that unique, you know, gorgeous, gorgeous style. Mm. And he redesigned his art for the film as theatrical sets for the castle. And, and it, I, I just remember it was, it was interesting to see how you know all the things that he did with lighting in the film and and the the, the design and his um you know his intricate patterns how he transferred all that to more of a three-dimensional set in the dioramas and what was and then unfortunately in a few years they would switch them out for uh, to match more of the, of the windows in the Emporium on Main Street, USA. But when they reopened, when they restored the dioramas, you know, a few years ago, um, some of Ivan Earl's concepts um, were recreated for the current version of the walkthrough. That's so, yeah, excellent choices. Um. Okay, so for me, I would say I would say I would go with Autopia to continue the <laughs> transportation theme that I've gone on already with the the keel boats and uh, also um, before that with the Conestoga wagons. So yeah, for Autopia, I you know. When I was younger, at the age where it's ideal to visit Disneyland, I think right around that like eight-year-old range, uh, I loved go karts. So I would assume I would also be drawn to the driving aspect of Autopia, and you know, it's still it's something that I do to this day uh, out in Disneyland. I just do not like doing it at Walt Disney World. And then my other one would have been the. Story of Bookland Canal Boats, uh, just like I feel about it today. Uh, it doesn't matter how many times I've done it. As soon as you, you, as soon as you walk up and see the little boats and see see that entrance to it, I, I feel like it, it captivates me every time, and I forget all the models that are around there that you get to see. I, I forget about that aspect just because I kind of get drawn into like, where are we going on these little boats? So, uh, I I would be that way back then too. I think it would really blow my mind. Mm-hmm. So, those are mine. Mm-hmm. Well, I still have my last one to do. Yes. for this one, and um, I I have to uh, I have to go to the, and see the princess that started it all. Uh, I'd go on Snow White's Adventures. This was an opening day attraction, um, and like I had mentioned for the Peter Pan attraction, Imagineers designed this attraction so the guests felt like they were the main character of the story. And so in this case, when we're riding this attraction, we're Snow White 
um, guests didn't understand this and wondered where was Snow White. So, so this original version of the reason I I would love to revisit this is that the original version that opened in 1955, it began in the diamond mine where the dwarves were seen digging for diamonds. And then later the riders would take a detour to the um, witch's castle. And so, again, it was, a, it was a very, very different attraction from what it is today. And I remember it was just a very cool attraction. It still didn't quite have an ending, but um, I've always been partial to Snow White. When she's one of my favorite princesses. And um, so I can't visit Disneyland without you know, riding her attraction. Yeah. It's, it, it was tough with all the, the classic dark ride fantasy mm-hmm. land attractions in that round. Uh, a lot of, a lot of hard choices, just like there will be with the four D ticket attractions. Uh, yes. this one's very frontier land heavy. So, mm-hmm. uh, in, you know, multiple options to ride the train. If anyone decides to choose that, but I'm going to let Tony kick this one off. So what's your first D ticket pick? I'm going to choose to ride the train because first (laughs) of all, it is Walt. Okay. And so you have to just out of respect and um, courtesy, ride the train, but also the fact that if I'm looking at value, I get to see the and go around the entire park, correct? With that ticket, I don't just go from one stop. Am, am I right? In the in fifty eight. No, there the, there's there's multiple stops in this one. Okay, so I don't have stops. to pay for each stop, like use a ticket for each. Okay, oh, so no, I get no. to so I get to see. Okay, I wasn't, you know, not from no fast fast plus then. Um, so um, <laughs> not which actually I wanted to bring up a little bit i'm a little disappointed with the tiers that they have in disney world that they didn't somehow at least digitally bring that kind of metaphor in with the tickets it's kind of just sitting there waiting for them yeah it it will happen eventually so it'll be after fans start to develop it on their own when they're talking about it and then when it gets put on instagram and social media for uh, a couple months then finally disney will see it when it's no longer relevant anymore. And yeah, yeah it, does, there you go. <laughs> it does seem like a missed opportunity. Yeah. So sorry, but, um, so, um, I would go the right, I would go, um, on the railroad because I can see the entire park and especially back then you could probably see a lot more because it's, you know, not as built up and everything. And again, out of respect and courtesy for the man who started it all. So the railroad. Yeah. I'm actually going to jump on that as well too uh it's kind of like you said the getting the best bang for your buck i mean the fact that uh it's the fact that you have a a good 20 minute train ride all the way around the park that's you're, you're getting a lot out of that one attraction right there being able to do that as well as like you said there's a lot of lot to see uh around there especially with the the lower foliage and then I've I've chosen a transportation option and everything else, so I essentially had to go with it here too. So, Michael, are you on the train too? Oh, it's all aboard. Yeah, I'm on that Santa Fe and Disneyland Railroad, and and what's cool is we're going in 1958 because there's two new things to see on March 28th. Uh, the the third locomotive is introduced to the railroad line, the Fred G. Gurley 
And it's the oldest of all the locomotives. It was built by um, the Baldwin um, Locomotive Works in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania in 1894. And the Grand Canyon Diorama opened on March 31st, 1958. So we're going to see it brand new. And, of course, this depicts the vista of the south rim of the canyon on a canvas that's 306 feet long and 34 feet high. This was the biggest backdrop of the world's largest diorama at that time. And this scene is based on Walt Disney's Academy Award-winning live-action short subject of 1958, Grand Canyon. And again, the the trains are, are a must-do for me for all the reasons you said. I mean, you know, Walt's love of trains, um, you know, in every iteration he had of a park, a family park, there was always a train running around it. So, um, yeah, you have to ride the train, especially at Disneyland, because like you guys are saying, you can see the park, you know, and, and, and you really get a feel for what's in it. It really is a grand tour of the park. Yep. So, um, I think we said everything we can about about the train for right now. Maybe we'll come back to it. But I'm going to go with my next pick since I'm already talking. And I'm going to say Jungle Cruise. Uh, it's mm-hmm. it, it seems like back then it would still be a marquee attraction. And uh, this one comes purely from from me. I would I would have loved to have seen it back when it was still pristine and without the Jungle Cruise silliness that we know of it today. So um, it just, it's one of my favorite attractions now. I think it would have been back then too. And definitely one of the must-see things at at Disneyland. So uh, is anyone else going on Jungle Cruise with me? Oh, I am. As, as am I. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you're right. This was supposed to be a realistic, believable um, voyage through the world's jungle. So yeah, there were no jokes, there were no puns. It, the the skippers it, they did like a documentary narration um, as you cruised along in those days. But yeah, this was the marquee attraction when the park opened. So um, and it still is it, to this day. It still is. It still is. Yeah. And Tony, what are your thoughts? I can't. Yeah, I, I can't imagine how unique it would be in 1958 there's nothing like this and you're Mm -hmm. it's as close to being on a real jungle cruise at this point we're okay great animatronics whatever but if you think in 1958 i'm the same kid who's excited about going to the moon and doing all that stuff how my i think i might draw my jaw would be dropped about how do they do that or it looks so real or like it just i it would be great to go back in time and experience it with that level of technology that was around at that time. Well, we, imagine, we kind of take stuff for granted mm-hmm. now. Well, imagine how amazed they must have been that in the middle of basically a desert, the desert of Southern California, a very you know, temperate climate, there's a jungle. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, that must have blown them away, you know, back then. Absolutely. Uh, Michael, do you want to go with your pick? Next? Sure. I'm, I, I'm, I'm climbing aboard another train. I'm, I'm back in Frontierland, and I'm going on the Rainbow Caverns Mine Train. This opened in 1956. It was one of my favorite attractions. In 
as it grew, as they expanded it. In 1956, this was part of the new Living Desert area of Frontierland based on Walt Disney's True Life Adventure live action film of the same name. So basically you got on board a miniature train and you were taken through all this scenery of the desert environment. So there were all this anthropomorphic cacti, uh, the balancing rocks that, you know, they precariously rolled back and forth above the heads of the guests twirling and all that. There were gushing geysers. And then there were these beautiful multicolored rainbow caverns that just seemed so spectacular in the black light, you know, in those days. Um, I... I just always loved Frontierland. You know, this was the era when westerns were were huge on television and in um, movie theaters. So, you know, boys and girls, you know, you played cowboys and Indians. And, um, you know, so, so we were all captivated by the frontier and by the Old West, the Hollywood version. And I, I always loved Frontierland growing up. And... Um, I, I loved this version of Frontierland because it just seemed to go on and on forever, um, just like, you know, the, the Old West. So um, I, 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 so I definitely, um, you know, this would be, this was always a must do for me when I was a boy. Yeah, I've, on this show, I've talked about it anytime it comes up. I, Rainbow Caverns is one of those things that I just wish I could get brought back one day so I could see it or jump in a actual time machine and go back to see it's I'm just absolutely fascinated with it and I I just wish I would have had the chance to <laughs> to experience it but Tony was this on your list by any chance yes of course how, <laughs> how could it not be it had literally everything I mean first of all it's a long attraction but it also had I mean it has bits and pieces of what you like in Disneyland attractions. And then again, like you said, the caverns, just reading about it. Okay. I want to see this. So, you know, you, I have my mental picture, but to actually experience it. And then also my other kind of side reason for it is I like the fact that you can see other rides when you're on this mm -hmm. ride. So, and you can see the train go by and seeing the, um, you can see the wagons and that I've always, one of the things I like about the people mover in um, Disney World is seeing the other rides when you're going through it. That's just mm -hmm. yeah. neat. So I like I that's a, another like kind of hidden feature that I like about it. Yeah, yeah, and there are like four attractions that you saw as you went through the mine train because you're right on the very edge. Um, the the Santa Fe Disneyland Railroad ran, but Craig, your Conestoga wagons ran through here the stage coaches were still up and running they ran through here and one of the things on my list the pack mules also went through here so this was just teeming with life this whole living desert area well do you want to talk about your pack mules now yeah yeah a frontierland <laughs> this is something this is one of my earliest memories of disneyland i actually have a photo of my mother and and i on them when i was like one year old maybe one and a half the rainbow ridge pack mules now when disneyland opened in 1955 the, it was called the Mule Pack, and it was in the same area as the Stagecoach and the Conestoga Wagons. But in 1956, 
Walt Disney spent $2 million on an expansion to Disneyland that included the Disneyland Skyway, the Rainbow Caverns Mine Train, the Indian Village, the Indian War Canoes, Storybook Land Canal Boats, and Tom Sawyer Island. And so with the Rainbow Caverns Mine Train came the town of Rainbow Ridge, the Living Desert, um, an improved loading area for the mule ride, and there was just more for riders to see along the trail. And so the mule pack was renamed the Rainbow Ridge Pack Mule. And um, I love this. This was just so cool uh, because, first of all, it was really low tech. I mean, you're just plodding along. But these these little mules, I, I remember, they had a mind of their own. Um I mean, they didn't always want to cooperate. And I remember riding this sometimes with my mother where, um, you know, our mule or a mule in front of us decided it had had enough for the day and it was not moving anywhere. And so then the poor Wrangler, the mule train, I don't know, leader uh, had to deal with that when he had all these guests you know, in the middle of the living desert. And then then when they expanded it and it became um, Mind Trains Through Nature's Wonderland, or, uh, one of the audio animatronic, I think Bobcats or Mountain Lions or something, spooked the um, pack mule. So they had to remove the audio animatronic. And then, um, you know, they would bray and they really, they really went hee-haw. I mean, it was funny uh, this was just so cool and the attraction was unique to disneyland this was never duplicated at any disney parks although in mark davis's concept for the western river expedition he did include the the pack mules going along the top of it but um this it was just fun you know it was just fun for kids you know, and 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 again, you just felt you were just out wandering the wilds of Frontierland. You know, as you saw stagecoaches go by and Conestoga wagons and trains and twirling boulders above your head. I mean, it was just neat. Yeah, Tony, was this on yours? No, no, it wasn't because, of course, there's still one space attraction that I haven't partaken in and that is the TWA rocket to the moon and when I was looking at the information about it seeing how huge the rocket was and I'm sure Michael has some info about that and um, the fact that it was sponsored by an actual airline so if I'm a kid thinking and as I was reading about it seeing that they said oh no this is what this is how it's going to be in 1986 a nuclear rocket, which is exciting as well, and um, that it's a and it's a simulation. So, again, like we were talking about Jungle Cruise, again being so amazed at okay, this this is going to happen. Number one, because the real airline that I know of in my head is going to this is their future, right? And then with the satellites and everything happening in 1958, and then going into a simulation and seeing, oh, this is what it's going to be like, just getting so excited for that whole space mm-hmm. race and all that. It's And it's so, it's huge. It is huge. So, yeah. yeah. And I would have done that because, of course, that was my theme, was space, obviously. Mm-hmm. This was actually my final choice as well, too, um, I, where I went primarily with everything out on the frontier uh, for 
for a lot of my past choices, I think this is this is the one that would actually uh, get me to be involved in in Tomorrowland beyond the Autopia. But I, I think I just would have been fascinated by the the TWA rocket and seeing that so large outside. I would just have to to see the attraction involved with it, and uh, it just. I don't think there could be a lot more exciting than that. So it's the rocket is just massive. Yeah. And yeah. That was the weenie. That's what drew you into Tomorrowland back in the day. And, and it was all the way in the back of Tomorrowland. I remember. And, and you're right, Tony, the, the excitement that we had, you know, little boys and girls Mm -hmm. back then for the space program, you know, I mean, a, a space launch was, you were glued to the TV. I mean, the whole country. And, uh, and then you talked about it all the next day. And um, yeah, so something that, that attraction was to us, this is what it was going to really be like, you know, we, we firmly believed it, you know, back then. It makes me really wish that Tomorrowland would just retheme back to, to the entire fifties mindset of pre-living with a world where people have been in space and just go with that because it's that mid-century style that everyone wants to try to get back to now with Dapper mm-hmm. Days and that entire that entire mindset. So mm-hmm. uh, next time they go to retheme, I think they should think that way. I wish they wouldn't do that googie style architecture that we, you know, we all imagine the future would be in in the 1950s because yeah. that's classic. It, it if it's done right, it's ageless. I agree. You know, so. you know. So, and they could have a lot of fun with it. Yeah. Someone out there needs to make it happen based on listening mm-hmm. to us saying this now. But, but that actually, that's as far as I counted. We're out of tickets now. We so are. We should have sprung yeah, and, for the jumbo yeah. to get book. <laughs> yeah, and we don't have any more money um, to to get to go to one of the kiosks and buy another ticket. That w- that was not an option our parents gave us. We had to use what we had wisely. Yes, but they did buy <laughs> us lunch still, and and uh, you know merchandise. But we'll get into that in the next segment of this show where we pick nineteen fifty eight merchandise. <laughs> Uh, I thought of that, you know. I thought, okay, are we going to choose? Okay, we're going to look into what was served at the time because the Fantasyland was all hot dogs and hamburgers. But uh, I'll take it. Right. So, but um, anyway, this was a lot of fun. This was a great idea, Craig. Thank you. Yeah, I loved it. Thank you for inviting me. It was, it was fun. I loved it. And now I'm it, now I'm kind of a little depressed that I wasn't around in 1958. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, I. I I part of me, I, I'm I'm happy. I feel very blessed. I was able to experience those early years of Disneyland. And it, you know what? We did. We're walking around Disneyland in 1958. We could have seen Walt Disney wandering yeah. around. I we hope we kept our eyes open as we were doing this. We didn't have a ticket for that, so I kind of forgot <laughs> about it. So uh, he was like walking around picking up trash or doing scooping ice cream for the guests or something like that, you know. So um, anyway, we just didn't go buy an ice cream cone. Yeah. That was at the Carnation Ice Cream um, Parlor. But uh, anyway, but this was great fun, Tony. I'm so glad you were able to join us. Thank you for the invite. Anytime. You're welcome. Well, well, 
we hope to have you back again. So until next time, you know, take care, and and we'll, we'll okay. look forward and we'll look forward to that that next album for um, Global Hygiene Revolution. Well, you know, we might have to unplug and strip it down a little bit, but I think I think <laughs> we're gonna have a comeback eventually. <laughs> Sounds good. Sounds good. Looking forward to that. And I'm sure uh, the longtime listeners to the Legacy Disneyland show will be very excited. And everyone else is very confused. (laughs) Anyway, well, normally we'd have our This Week in Disney History contest. But since I have been traveling on business the last week or so, I really haven't had time to um, properly prepare and record those segments. But we will be bringing that segment um, back very soon along with a new listener to challenge craig very very soon yep. so so two books i found helpful during my preparation for this episode well actually three i added one in at the very last minute um the unofficial disneyland 1955 companion the anecdotal story of the birth of the happiest place on earth by Jim Corcus. The Disneyland Story, The Unofficial Guide to the Evolution of Walt Disney's Dream by Sam Genoway. And Disney A to Z, the official, the official encyclopedia, fourth edition by Dave Smith. So Craig, where can our listeners find you for the coming week on the Diz Unplugged network of shows? As always, you can find me on the uh, Disney World, Universal, Best and Worst, uh, and Dis Daily Fix. So on those normal weeks, and then uh, if you want to get in touch with me, as always, uh, you can find me on Instagram as well as Twitter at Teleclaster. So what about you, Michael? Um, well, you can find me. Um, you can send me messages at Michael at WDWinfo.com. On Twitter, I'm at M Bowling one two one Facebook I'm Michael Bowling look for the one with the connecting with Walt banner Instagram I'm Michael Bowling the Diz and of course you can always connect with me and Craig on our official connecting with Walt Twitter page at Connect Walt so after listening to this show tell us what would you do with your uh, fancy 1958 um disneyland ticket book would you go would you go on the same attractions with us or are there other attractions that have caught your fancy that you would like to experience you would love to know um and if you would like to listen to more shows on the history of walt disney his studio his imagineers and disneyland check out our disneyland podcast archives for my disney history episodes at disunplugged.com look for past episodes of connecting with walt on itunes where you can subscribe to our show and leave some positive reviews and ratings so thank you for making us a part of your day and remember i only hope that we don't lose sight of one thing that was all started by a man, Walt Disney, and his brother Roy. 